0: J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This is a paid advertisement from BetterHelp Therapy Online. Have you ever struggled from fitting in? I know I have, particularly at school. I found it difficult to find out who I was on that journey of self-discovery. I started to see a therapist, and not only did I go on a journey of self-awareness and understanding, I became more resilient, my self-worth grew, and my mental health changed for the better. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try, because it's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. All you need to do is fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a therapist and you can switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. With over 1,000 therapists in the UK already, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Our listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com headstrong. That's better, H-E-L-P dot com slash headstrong. Hello and welcome to Headstrong. If this is your first time listening, first of all, thank you so much for tuning in. My name is Louis Strong and I host this show. On Headstrong, I interview guests in the public eye about their lives and their careers. But ultimately, I want to talk to them about their vulnerabilities to understand what the word headstrong means to them. Joining me on this episode of Headstrong is the incredible musician Freya Ridings, who I saw for the first time probably about four or five years ago. And ever since then, I have followed her career. And she's got an exciting new album coming out, which I'm incredibly excited for A, because I've heard it, and B, it is an absolute banger. But she was actually really open and honest with me about her dealings with things like a breakup, with her personal experience with lockdown, and also how important music is to her mental health. So I really hope you enjoy this episode of Headstrong. Brea, thank you so much for joining me on Headstrong. How are you doing?
1: Thank you so much for having me on Headstrong, Louis. Um, I'm so good, thanks. I'm really excited for this chat. I actually love podcasts. For me, they're like one of my favourite. They're just like one of my favourite parts of the show. So yeah, I'm excited for this.
0: I love it. What do you listen to then? What do you? What kind of gets you going in a podcast?
1: Well, I love Van Cotton's Happy Place. I feel like when I got to be on her podcast, like that was honestly such a, a high for me because I love her so much.
0: I love that. Where where do you listen to your podcast? I always love to know where people kind of have their time. People are like driving, exercise. I listen to mine on a long dog walk. That kind of gets me going
1: nice so, well minus the dog it's the walk like walking through the forest yeah. and like the park like that's like my happy place um I, I just find it kind of like like being on the phone with like you know my mom or like the podcast i feel like it just makes it kind of go a lot quicker like a walk with a friend is always quicker so yeah yeah
0: 100% like getting my steps i oh, gotta get the steps in ten thousand minimum come on
1: yeah 100% it's kind of changed my my world recently because i feel like a year ago i didn't do it I kind of got into it in lockdown and then kind of stopped. And then it's, I guess it's been three years. So I kind of it's been a year of getting back into it. that I really, I just like that just for your mental health as well. You feel so much fresher every day.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think that's one of the most important things for me when I haven't done a long walk and had the fresh air. I think that's the most important thing because that just gives me clarity and it gives me yeah. space to kind of pause and not even reassess, just like have a break from reality for a bit and switch off and get that fresh air. Do you know what I mean?
1: Yeah hundred percent. And there was on the Diary of a CEO podcast that I was listening to the other day. There was a guy like describing how he was like oxygen is the opposite of like disease. And he and when he said that, I was like, that makes a lot of sense because if you haven't had fresh air or like sunlight in that day, you do feel very different, you know. And the second mm. you get that, you feel a lot more like awake and alive. So yeah, I'm I with that. you. That was amazing.
0: I mean, you mentioned lockdown there. I'm I- incredibly excited because. I have listened to your whole new album. I got sent it and it's super <laughs> exciting. Blood Orange. I listened to the whole shebang and I'm not going to lie to you. I, I I already loved your music and I am buzzing for this to come out. It's very, very exciting. But let's talk about inspiration. Blood Orange. I've heard you talk about yeah. it, but t- t- I want you to tell me. tell me. Tell me about Blood Orange and the inspo.
1: So for me, like, I can only write off a of personal experience. That's all I've ever done. From when I was like a nine-year-old, you know, singing about the you know being left out with girls my sc- girls at school like to like my first crush to like losing my big love to like finding myself and rebuilding myself it's kind of it's just been my absolute go-to always to write about my own life it's all I've ever known so this blood orange is the last three years of my life kind of like a time capsule um and I wanted to call it blood orange mostly because I wanted it to have a kind of 70s kind of organic but euphoric kind of influence in a kind of modern pop way. But also because there are two very distinguishable halves. Um, I'd say the first 18 months of writing this album, I was like very kind of heartbroken and alone and struggling with a lot of things at that time. You know, kind of like looking like from the outside in, like I was doing really good, but actually really suffering with one of the sort of worst breakups of my life. And then... The second age you path was like re-foiling back much more euphoric and like joyful.
0: No, I, I honestly think it's absolutely fantastic. Now, it's coming out at the start of May. Thank you. The it's got a really authentic, yeah. amazing sound. As you say, it's it's you're such a good storyteller with your voice and your music. It's awesome. Am I allowed Thanks. to say any of the song title names? Or was that uh, embargoed and secret?
1: Yeah, go for it.
0: Okay. Yeah, go for it. My absolute no, favourite no, no. song and absolute banger is Dancing in a Hurricane. My God, what a tune.
1: Dancing in a Hurricane was, I feel like a real breakthrough moment for me on this album because I've been really, really struggling, especially with the kind of heartbroken headspace of like working with other people. I was finding it really hard to open up. And I kind of went into this session with um, Lost Boy, who I love his work. But he's done a lot of songs that I love, like with Griff and stuff. Um, and tested an artist and writer that I've always really, really respected. He wrote like, Forget You for um, Mm. Lewis Capaldi. Um, And I was really, really nervous and they were just so lovely to me and they were just really, really kind. And we just kind of talked about the influences I wanted to incorporate and the kind of joy and also the idea of like, you know, there was no chance of playing big shows back then. But I was like, I just... I want to rebuild myself and I don't want to wait to be happy anymore. Like, I don't want to wait. And like, we were just like, imagine if we were in the studio, but we were on the stage of Glastonbury right now, looking out across the sea of people and the sun was going down. Like, what would we want to play them in this room that would make them feel like euphoric? And that was the two kind of worlds that came together. That idea of not wanting to just sort of, just sit in the sadness. Like, if you can dance in the rain, it's like, there's nothing you can't do, you know? So, that completely um, I mean, what translates I know,
0: okay. no i i i i am totally not a music pr but i'm telling you now that, that that should be a single at some point um oh. no it is um it, that completely translates it, what that makes me feel is like it makes me want to get out of like a slump you know it makes me want to get up and be motivated and do stuff it's great i love it really really great now you. along with um some of the other music on the album am i right in saying that you may have written a song with your brother
1: i did um well he's a co-writer on it because yeah there's a song called wither on the vine that is like i really love on the album because for me it's like you know i was c- kind of coming into my own in terms of like saying what i wanted things to sound like in the studio before i was kind of taking much more of a backseat. i was much more about just the lyrics but this time sonically i really wanted to have a vision and go for that and yeah, wither on the vine, that's a phrase that my mum used to say a lot growing up. If I was, you know, being bullied at kids at school, she's like and I was like, yeah, I just want to tell them like, how upset I am. You know, she's like, wither on the vine, like, just don't give it your energy because like that's mm. just not going to, you know, give your energy to the things you want more of, not the things you want less of. Um, and for me, I kind of translated it. I was still in that heartbroken kind of phase of the, the blood orange journey. Um, and I was at home in lockdown and I was like, I've had this idea, I kind of wrote it a cappella. After seeing my ex like outside of a tube station, and I hadn't seen him for a really long time, and I came back and I was like so angry. Um, And my brother basically was like, "You need to finish that song." And I was like, "Yeah, I really want to." I was like, "I just don't really have a chorus." And he helped me write the chorus, which is amazing. And I think he's honestly my favorite person in the world. We just went for a park walk, and I like he's twenty-one foot Arden riding, and I just I think he's just the most talented boy alive. And I'm really excited for his future, no matter what it is. Um, But yeah, he helped me write it, which is really sweet.
0: That's so sweet. So are you guys really close? Because I know that music and kind of songwriting is very much in your family. It's a massive part of that. But is that something that you guys can relate to and link together? Like, do you play music together and sing along together? Or is that kind of less so a thing?
1: Not all together, but individually, I think, especially over lockdown and stuff, because I was having my album with no out help like there was no record label there was no feedback so suddenly my family became like my A&R like the feedback the t- the testing the songs out um and yeah they're just I think my brother's so incredible I think he could be an A&R if he wanted he's so incredibly like precise with his feedback and he's so like empathetic and soul-driven that he can like feel whether something's authentic to me or not I think better than most people um, maybe because we were like, you've grown up together. We have a seven year age gap. So he's 21. I'm 28. Mm. Um, but yeah, he's my absolute best friend. And I'm just, I'm so, so grateful that we got that time to kind of reconnect. Cause I've been on tour for like three plus years. Um, I hadn't seen a lot of him. So it was, it was really nice to have that moment and to kind of, yeah, just reconnect.
0: As you say, you write from personal experience, which in a way is I don't want to put words in your mouth, but does it feel like a therapeutic activity for you? Is songwriting a way of you getting something off your chest and putting it in a, in a song, a a way to express yourself?
1: Yeah, I think songwriting is a therapeutic activity. I was maybe taking it a bit too far before and it was all I was doing. And then over lockdown, I kind of got into doing like zoom therapy and I still do it. I've been doing it for like two and a half years now. And I'm really, really grateful to have two. Yeah. I think it's, Really good to be able to compartmentalize, like, this is what I do for fun and for my job and to like overcome my fears. But it doesn't need to be the only place where I get that, you know, emotional outlet. I think it's important to kind of have balance, which is something that I wasn't very good at the first time around. So hopefully this time it's got more of a balance. But I'd say, yeah, this album, my goal was I had a goal for a while, which was like I wanted to impress people and it just, it was killing me, like it was crushing my soul. And I think, I don't know what happened over the lockdown, but it was like, no one cared anymore. And I kind of found it so liberating. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to make the album that I actually want to make and like, screw what happens. Like, I don't care. Like, I want to just say the things that really, really scare me. And I want to overcome my fears via every single song and just grow as a person. I feel like from your, you know, early to mid to late twenties, it's just such a time of like, just such quick growth that, Yeah, I really wanted to document it. And I could have said things that were easier to say, for sure. But (laughs) I really wanted to say the things that were almost embarrassing in the moment. But when you look back on them, you feel really proud you've said them.
0: Yeah. No, I love that. I really, really like that. This is a paid advertisement from BetterHelp Therapy Online. Have you ever struggled from fitting in? I know I have, particularly at school. I found it difficult to find out who I was on that journey of self-discovery. I started to see a therapist and not only did I go on a journey of self-awareness and understanding, I became more resilient, my self-worth grew and my mental health changed for the better. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try because it's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. All you need to do is fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a therapist and you can switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. With over 1,000 therapists in the UK already, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Our listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com headstrong. That's better, dot com slash headstrong. I want to talk to you about heartbreak because it is an area that you've talked about before, uh, as in in terms yeah. of your music. And I think it's a really important subject. But, you know, what I love is listening to music and actually being able to relate really to awesome. somebody because you can talk, you know, a song can really resonate with somebody because it's actually about that raw emotional feeling. About heartbreak. Yeah. So was that a way how you coped with heartbreak? Yeah. You listened to music, and that's the way you resonate with it.
1: Yeah, a hundred percent. Like, firstly, I'm so sorry you're going through that. It's like there is no pain like it. I don't think. I think it's such an un. You can't really. There's no painkiller for it. Apart from, I think, like feeling understood in any way that you can find, and I think music does take on this this higher purpose when you're going through that pain it's kind of really interesting like I had a, a I'm really scared of needles and I had like th- some blood tests recently like it's all good or safe but I That'd was really scared of the pain I was so scared and I don't know what happened but I immediately just started like, going like woo, and I just started like making like notes and it was so interesting to me because I suddenly had this breakthrough that I was like Oh my god! Every time that I've turned to the piano or singing or a song is because I'm in emotional pain, and that's how I can cope with it. And my mom said when she was giving birth to me, she sang the whole time, and I was Absolutely like, "Absolutely amazing!" Makes so much sense that, but that's the thing. the thing. is, like, I think we think of it as like, oh, like music and heartbreak, they, they they're always hanging out, but I think they're intrinsically linked. I don't know how someone could get through it without finding those songs or writing those songs that helps them through it. Like when I watch Love Island and someone's like had their heart like crushed, I just want to like send in like a ukulele or like a piano or something. I'm like, you need to sing. I was like, you need to sing (laughs) or like dance or like find a song that just sets your soul alight and just reminds you who you are, like what you're going to rebuild yourself into. And also just allows you to feel, you know? Cause someone said like, I've been thinking about this quote a lot recently. I don't even know where I heard it. And it was like, so many people have died trying to run from emotions, but no one's ever died of feeling them. Mm. And I was like, I think feeling them is sometimes just the scariest thing on the planet, but via music, it just makes it a little bit more bearable and joyful. You know?
0: Honestly, I completely agree. I am. I've been saying that you've got to feel the feelings. And I know that sounds so cliche and so ridiculous, but actually if you keep putting no, it off or if point. you go for a rebound or you kind of go distract yourself with yeah. alcohol or whatever, no, I think actually, and I'm very right. happy to admit this, I'm more than happy to accept my emotions and cry. You know, I think that's yeah. a really important yeah. part of the journey. I yeah. have a question for you. When was the last time you cried?
1: Oh my God. Wait, wait. Let me think. Oh, actually, oh, what was it? Like sad cry or happy cry?
0: Let's go for both. Let's not keep our listeners too unhappy.
1: <laughs> I think. Um, what was sad cry? Oh, the other night I was feeling like just really kind of. I just got hit by this kind of wave of like we've had such an intense few months of releasing music again, and I've waited so long to release this music, and we got to play on Graham Norton, and, and that's like mm. a life goal like a childhood dream of mine and I didn't think it would vaguely be a possibility this year let alone for this album um and I don't know it just kind of hit me that you know something that I've aimed towards for so long has happened and I'm on the other side of it now and I just kind of I felt this little dip and I just like I had a bit of a cry but it was kind of joy and like the fear that I'll never reach that again I was like it was just a weird kind of Especially when you're just going at such incredible speed after years of just being at home or working in the studio. It's very kind of like cocoon. And then suddenly you're out of the cocoon, you know, and there's just a lot more stimulation coming your way, which I, I love. But I think sometimes it just hits me and you just have to let it out. And apparently when they, I heard a podcast, another podcast, they um, they got different tears from different emotional states like anger and sadness and joy. And they like they crystallized them, or like they de they took out the liquid and they crystallized them. And they were completely different shapes depending on like what you were feeling when you cried. Um, and the angry angry ones were all like jagged, mm. and then the the happy ones were kind of a lot more like symmetrical. Um, and I just thought that was really really interesting. It's like we just need to. It's it shouldn't even be vaguely taboo. It's so much more dangerous not to let stuff out than it is to let stuff out.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. I think, do you know what? Someone I uh, spoke to recently who I interviewed said, it's all very well and good, actually, though, talking about it. But the most important thing is who's there to listen? Because you actually Ooh, do need, you know, it's all very well and good getting it off your chest and you do go, oh, I do feel so much better. But then someone could go, yeah. oh, God, you know, I completely. Can- whatever, whatever, you know, or disregard yeah. it or not be listening. And actually, do you know what? Sometimes you do need that shoulder of support. You do need that advice yeah. and be that professional or personal. It's so important to actually just reach out to mm-hmm. something and go, can we just chat for five minutes? You know, and I think that's really, yeah. and that's such a good strength, isn't it?
1: It is a massive strength. I think a lot of the time, like when you can feel yourself wanting to go into a shell and wanting to like reclude yourself from people, it's like, that's the moment when you need to reach out to someone. And it's not always the easiest thing to do, especially when on the outside, you look like you've got it all together. It's really hard to tell someone that you're struggling, even if it's just for that day or like a week, you know? Like if you're having a bit of a dip, it's kind of like, yeah, finding those people who you trust, their wisdom and their their advice implicitly, and people who really know you and care about you, even if it's very few, like fingers of one hand, I think it's still really important. Yeah.
0: Okay, Freya, I'm gonna we're gonna turn back the clocks. So we're gonna go back to Freya growing up as a child. Yeah. Can you always remember music being a part of your life?
1: Yeah, I do. I yeah, my mum would um, sing well, sing me. And then when my brother came along, my brother to sleep with songs and we'd get a rubby back. And that was like our nighttime routine. And we used to ask for different, it was, it was iconic. I'm not going to (laughs) lie. And when I, when I did babysitting, when I was a little bit older, when I was in my teens, I would always give the kids like a little rubby back in a song and they got to bed so quickly because they didn't want to risk losing the song or the rubby back. What would would the song
0: be? What's your, what was, what's the go-to rubby back song?
1: So, um, I, my mum would always do one of sort of three songs. She'd do um Every Time We Say Goodbye by Etta James, which is Ooh. still like that song slays me every single time. Mm. Um and then there's a song from the film The Three Amigos called I don't know what <laughs> the song is, but they sit oh, around the campfire and they sing it. Isn't it such a good song? Oh, oh what a film. I haven't heard that in ages. We call it Boom Dee Dee, but it's that song around the campfire. It's like it's really, yeah, I like that song. Um we'd ask for the cowboy song, that was that one and then there's a one called blue lagoon uh, i can't remember but those are the two two main ones yeah
0: oh that's lovely now what you know when we were, when you were growing up was there that dare i say pressure to get into music or was it just very much a part of your life in your own personal desire and passion and of course natural talent and skill
1: thank you for saying that um but I think because I watched my dad love it so vehemently, like his love for acoustic guitars are just all around our house. My mum plays the piano and like Celtic harp. We had a really old piano growing up, like the keys were literally crumbling off it. Um, and I think watching their love for it just made it seem just that's what you did. You wrote your own songs, you played them and you sang them. And I that's what I always thought that people did. But for me, I was like really into like rebelling. I was like, I'm going to, you know, play like violin or I'm going to do something that you can't really sing with as easily. But truthfully, I couldn't keep away from it. Like, you know, my dad would go off like film sets for like months and I'd sneak into his room and like play the acoustic guitar, even though I could only play like individual notes and try and sing over it. So eventually, I think it was like my 11th birthday day he bought me my own guitar and it was so crazy because I was sat on this little treehouse ledge and all my um, uncles and aunts were around me. Didn't have many mates my own age, but that's all right. <laughs> um, but I was playing his guitar and I was showing everyone a song I'd written and he came out and he's like, there's still a video of this somewhere. It freaks me out. And he's like, Frey, you can't play my guitar anymore. And I was like, what? And then he's like, because you've got your own. And he gives me like yes. this, like cherry red wood. <laughs> I know, like takamine guitar. And I was like,
0: yeah. he told me I
1: could only over- get either an iPod mini or a guitar and (sighs) I was doing a really long commute to school and I was like I need an iPod more than anything because that's what I really need but I wanted the guitar so badly I didn't think and that to this day might be the best gift I've ever got for any birthday or Christmas
0: yeah yeah without that guitar frere where would we be I don't know (laughs) because
1: that was the guitar I went to all the open mic nights with so yeah I don't know that's incredible
0: now I want to talk about your identity there? I mean, you briefly touched on it there about, you know, you know, struggling to fit in and make friends when you were younger. Did you struggle yeah. with your identity then growing up? And why do you think that was?
1: I think growing up, I was like, just, I really imprinted on like, you know, my parents and my godparents, they're all the like actors and musicians and artists, and they're just incredible, vivacious, like very sort of outgoing people, very kind of thespian and mm. I grew up being like one of them like I put on like shows and and we'd do like immersive like theater together in the front room and I'd like make little tickets and sell them for 20p and I'd be like come to the show come to the show um and I just I loved life when I before school I really did and I was so excited to go to school like, I can't wait to make meet people my own age and make friends um and I went to school and it was suddenly like all of the things that I'd been taught were valuable you know like being honest and being like yourself and it just suddenly seemed like that was the opposite it was like the currency kind of shifted and you know standing out was bad and it meant that you were a target and it meant that people didn't like you and I I was just so shocked by that because I was I was always like taller and I was always like a redhead so that makes you stand out anyway but I think I was so shocked by this that I just kind of shut down and I went into my my own shell and I was I basically didn't come out of it for like 14 years until I basically left school. I honestly think my biggest goal in life is to reclaim the little little girl I was before I went to school because she was amazing. Like, she was like indomitable. I would go to anyone in a any cafe full, full fairy dress, like welly boots and be like, hey guys, like, it's nice to meet you. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I was so outgoing. And I, and I think trying to get back to that place where people were, you know, a safe space instead of a dangerous space, it's like, that's how I feel now. You know, I look out into a sea of faces at Glastonbury and it feels like those are my people. But school, it really wasn't my people. I don't know what it was. It doesn't, I don't think it brings out the best in anyone, but I think, mm. yeah, when it comes to bullying and like, it's just, it's just like the Wild West. Like, you're never put in that situation basically ever again. But uh, getting through it was really hard. It's some of the hardest years of my life, I think. Yeah, I yeah. Mean, uh...
0: And you also struggled as well in terms of the educational side of it. And I know you went to the Brit school, which is a performing arts school, which is wonderful, but you've also said before that you had dyslexia, right? Yeah. And that also makes life so yeah. difficult because it's something yeah. that you quite literally can't help. And it's so difficult, okay. but, some, but yeah. sometimes kids don't understand that they can't differentiate that. Was that Did that play an important part to the kind of bullying, dare I say?
1: Yeah, I think there was a double-edged sword because So you're kind of, you're not, you know, it's not as easy to make friends because you're having to focus so hard on your schoolwork. Mm -hmm. And I remember I would literally, everyone else would be chatting to each other and, like, making friends during the work. And I would be focusing so hard and I would literally have only got, like, a couple sentences, sort of downtime to chat with people because I was trying so hard. Um, But, yeah, I think it basically meant that it was probably the worst environment I could possibly be in because I'd gone from an environment where it was all like sitting around the kitchen table, like verbal storytelling, Mm. like singing, like performing. And these are still things that I love to this day. Like if this was a written, you know, question and I had to write it with a pen, this would probably take me singing. That's like where I come alive. And none of that involves holding a pen, you know? So it's kind of interesting what's valued and what isn't because I think storytelling and songwriting or writing in general is such a you have to have a pen in your hand but it actually has so little to do with that it's it's wild
0: so when you write out of for example then because of yes yes we just talked about there you have dyslexia and you know it's not about picking up that pen and writing it which I totally get so do you kind of listen to some music kind of like you know like backing tracks and stuff and you can hear the words come to you and you write it in your head and then write it down or what? Talk me through your process.
1: So it's really interesting. Like for the whole first album, I basically didn't pick up a pen for that. Like I didn't. Um, And I still to this day don't really know the notes or the chords that I'm playing. No idea really. I do it purely based off of emotion and shapes and what feels right. And in a weird way, I think it's kind of like a secret advantage because I don't know any restrictions. You know, mm. I don't know what this chord shouldn't go with this chord. I just go on what feels right to me. Um, and yeah, I sit basically at the piano um, <laughs> or just like a cappella and just kind of sing. Like I always shut my right eye, which I found out I look like a pirate in the studio. It's like, <laughs> I always have mascara under this eye. I don't know why. Um, because basically I stream of consciousness it, but it's from the right hand side of your brain is like the creative side. So I think mm. when you get to shut that, you kind of go into like a half like, you know, like a pre-dream kind of theta alpha state where you kind of can, you're not thinking with your conscious brain anymore. It's coming from a much deeper, like back of the brain kind of place. Um, And that's the place that I like to try and write from. It's not easy um, and it is scary and it feels vulnerable. And sometimes you do end up crying a bit. Sometimes you end up feeling euphoric. It's just, you never know what you're going to dig up. But it's like, it's the sand under the water, you know? You're like, you're not really sure what's under there. But sometimes you get some little some little nuggets of stuff that you're like, oh, wow, that feels really authentically true. So then once I do the stream of consciousness, I then go through it, like my voice memos, and I try and pinpoint things or phrases or choruses or ideas that feel true to me and that really stick with me. And if they get stuck in my head as well, I'm like, okay, that's a good sign. So, yeah, it's kind of a digging for mud, saving for gold kind of situation. My mom's Love always it. like... She's a writer as well. And when she starts a page, she always writes at the top of the page, like, I'm just digging for mud. Like, there's no no pressure. Oh, I'm going
0: to steal that. Thank you, Mrs. Ridings.
1: I know. She's so clever. She really is.
0: I love that. Now, I want to talk about touring with you because I know that you were in Australia when lockdown happened, but ultimately as well, touring can be... I can imagine a lonely place. You're away for quite often months, if not years at a time. You're Mm -hmm. away from your family and friends. It's a break from reality. Your sleep schedule is completely messed up. You're eating and drinking at bizarre times and it just throws you around a little bit for your mental health. So what's that
1: like? Like touring is simultaneously one of the greatest loves of my life and also one of the scariest things that I ever do. Um, I love it. But, oh, sorry. But basically, for me, I can see why, like you said, a lot of the things that it's kind of like, you know, like, what is it, total wipeout when you have to jump on those massive balls and you just get like mm. thrown off in different directions. It kind of feels like every day is like that and you never know what you're going to get thrown or which direction you're going to get thrown. And for me, it's like, I really, for me, going up to having a tour bus and being able to know where I was going to sleep and to be able to bring snacks on the bus that I know are like are healthy and feel good to me and have my kettle to be able to make tea, like that to me was a huge step up in quality of tour life. Because for me, sleep is everything. Like I am basically like a massive hamster on tour. Like sometimes my band are like literally there's like bedding just like exploding out of the of your bunk. And I'm like, yes, I have so much bedding and i will sleep as much as i possibly can because i give so much you know on stage and i just i kind of treat it almost like a sort of health retreat because i think you're already under so much stress you're in different places every day if you don't take your health really seriously like you don't you just can't risk like not turning up for your hands they're turning up for you in the cold and the rain or you know, they've had a hard day at work and they're, they're still coming out on public transport to see you. You're like, I'm, to up to them and I'm giving them everything I've got. But yeah, you, it's lonely. I, once I, I got a band that I really clicked with, they were some of my favourite tours ever. But yeah, if you're struggling with heartbreak, like I was in Australia, I remember being so jet lagged and so tired. And I was like, I don't know how long I can keep doing this. But then you have two, three years off and I've never missed anything more in my life. Mm. But for me, I think it was because the balance was out of kilter. Like the reason why I love music is because I sing about the people I love and I can tell them things that I can't say to their face. It's one of my favourite things in the world because you it's like walking out onto stage in a country you've never been to before maybe or a city you've never been to and you already know you love that room of people and they're your people Like that's an incredible feeling. And I think for me, I just want to be braver with my show and I want to stand up, which really scares me to stand up and sing. Mm. And I want to like perform more and I want to like really build it like as a show, not just like as a musical show, like as a like, you know, the the lighting and like the costume changes and going to have real brass and like just everything I just want to elevate for this next tour.
0: So you talk about sleep there being like one of your amazing coping mechanisms, but what else do you do to kind of look after your yeah. mental health then?
1: So this is my number one, actually. Um, so I do basically like a diary every night. Some people say journal, but i like, it's just one a day. And this is my, how old am I? this is my 12th year of doing it. Wow. So I have 12 years of my diaries, which is 12 years every day. Yeah, minus a couple that I might have missed along the way. But that's basically a huge chunk of my life. Um, Wow. Yeah. And I would say that that basically is my best tool for, like, not getting overwhelmed.
0: So no matter how how crazy the day
1: is, it can never be more. Yeah.
0: Do you use that to reflect? Do you use it to write down, to learn? Like, what's the, what's your process? Because I know that so many people don't do this and it's such a good technique and tool.
1: Yeah. Um I think for me it's basically about accountability and to feel like you've got your own back and you're looking after yourself, kind of like you check in with a friend, you know? Um and you can do it with that element of kind of self-compassion which can really help you overcome some of of the day. Like I just like breaking it down so it doesn't feel like this overwhelming thing, you know? All I'm ever trying to do is like I have my little stickers as well, which is like my daily little goals. And if I get my stickers, then I've had a good day. And if I didn't get my stickers, then I need to look at that and think about getting them tomorrow, you know? And I, can, I can't I can fall off the wagon too much without seeing it happen, you know? Because days turn into months, turn into years, and it's like you don't know where they went. But with the diary, you can be like, oh, there they are, you
0: know? <laughs> no, it's, it's such a good thing that you're doing. I really love that. I want to know what's been the biggest... Thanks. Pinch yourself moment so far in your career because you've met so many people, do so, so many cool things. What's been that moment where you have kind of, if you could look at it outside of being Freya Run, you could go, "Oh my god, I can't believe that happened."
1: Um, there's a there's a couple, I think. Like playing Glastonbury was definitely a highlight because me and my dad used to watch Glastonbury every year on the TV growing up, and it was. It was so ridiculously iconic that I couldn't fathom being on that stage. I just, I could keep seeing, it was the John Peel stage and it's like 20,000 people. And it was so surreal to be playing, you know, a song that I'd written in my parents' front room and having that be played at Glastonbury. I was like, Jesus Christ. It just, it kind of felt like a real moment for the first time in my whole life. I was like, they can't take, my mum was like, this is a bar you cannot fall below. And I was like, thank you, Mom. Because I used to apply to the breaking out artist, breakthrough artist thing every year, and I would never get it. So to actually be there, like legitimately, I was like, this is so cool. This is so cool. Um, yeah. And then there were just, yeah, there were some other insane times. You know, when you meet people who you've kind of grown up
0: mm. idealizing
1: or like just, really really famous people that you're like mother of god you're like that's in front of my own eyes like even on graham norton it was like getting to meet helen mirren i was like wow that's and we had a great chat afterwards and and she's just so iconic i feel like she is the literal queen um <laughs> and she was like oh we did, we did two takes of the performance that i did And she's like i would i definitely go for the second one like because i was asking her opinion she's like yes like it's easy to sort of overthink these things but i think the second one you'd really warmed up into it i was like thank you so and then she's like well, what do i know yeah. and i was like well you're doing hell of, uh, and she's like, kind of sorry, quite oh. a lot <laughs> and we just yeah we just had a good moment and i was like mother of god like my parents are actors like that's iconic so cool so cool oh, yeah
0: that's so amazing <laughs> Bro, i've really enjoyed talking to you you're very um you're, I, you I, you're too, just too. what I imagine your family's like as well, just full of energy, as you say, vivacious and <laughs> and, and just happy. You're a good spirit. But my final question <laughs> that I ask every guest is, what does the word headstrong mean to you?
1: Oh, my God, I love this question. So I'd say being headstrong is like my favorite characteristic in myself and other people that I admire, because I think basically like grit and determination is is that's what it is it's just the determination to just not let go even when everything else is like you know sort of shaking you you hold on um and I really I think it's an incredible life skill and I think it's something that should be championed much more like just the indomitable strength of not not letting go um and yeah I think more children should be seen like that's a good thing it's not pushy or impatient it's like You know what you want and like holding on for it, playing the long game. And my favourite quote actually ever is a quote from Batman. We have a Batman mask in the front room, just to remind me. Love that. Um, And it's what you do in the dark that puts light. And I love that. That to me is headstrong.
0: A great answer. Freya, thank you so much. Seriously, it's really, really kind of you. I wish you all the best of luck with Blood Orange. I'm super excited. Thank you so much. And that's it for this episode of Headstrong. Thank you so much for listening. Please do go hit like, subscribe, follow us on all our social media, including TikTok, Instagram, and of course, for our new filmed content on YouTube. We're really excited for what the rest of the year has to bring. So we would love to have you along for the journey. This is a paid advertisement from BetterHelp Therapy Online. Have you ever struggled from fitting in? I know I have, particularly at school. I found it difficult to find out who I was on that journey of self-discovery. I started to see a therapist, and not only did I go on a journey of self-awareness and understanding, I became more resilient, my self-worth grew, and my mental health changed for the better. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try, because it's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. All you need to do is fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a therapist and you can switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. With over 1,000 therapists in the UK already, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Our listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash headstrong. That's better, H-E-L-P dot com slash headstrong.
1: Hold up, what was that? Boring, no flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week.